The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to The Promised Land, a show about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined by Rob Blanchett as ever. Talking about Manchester United, who dropped some points in the Premier League against Southampton on Sunday. They now don't play a Premier League game, I don't believe, until April, where they go to Newcastle. Mm. But there are two games upcoming before the international break. Uh, A second leg against Real Betis and Fulham at home in the FA Cup quarterfinals this weekend. Coming, Rob, how are you doing? Not bad. A little bit flat, obviously, after that goalless draw at Old Trafford. We're going to try and break down some of it today and talk about some of the players involved. But overall, I don't know. I think we kind of need the Premier League to carry on, don't we, Scott? We need to kind of get the momentum back from where we were a few weeks ago. So I think the international break might help United in some ways because of injuries and one thing or another. But I'm never a big fan of the international break. Yeah, I think some clubs perhaps need the Premier League to continue more than others. I would actually, yeah, I would say United, this this might be coming at a good time for them. The fact that they don't have, obviously, uh they have two games coming up, but they're not in the league and they do have a number of injuries that we'd like to see cleared up, but they will be without one player regardless. And we'll talk about him. I'm sure you can guess who that will be. Uh, I'm sure you've probably clicked the video and his name is in the title somewhere. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about that today, but you can subscribe to the show wherever you get your pods, Apple, Google, Spotify, and the likes, and we'll be around twice a week, Tuesdays and Fridays, also on YouTube, like subscribe, join the community, leave a comment for us over there on that channel. And you can follow us on Twitter at underscore Scott Saunders at underscore Rob underscore B and at Promise and MU for the show as well. Today, we'll, we we will be talking about Casemiro um, and his... He's now missed eight... He, he'll now miss eight Premier League games because he's got had one red card and a three-match ban. He then had a accumulation of yellow cards ban. And now he's got a four-match ban for another straight red card, mm. which uh, I suppose first, Rob, the question is, was it a red card? I We both agree that it was... Yes. Think, yes. yes, I think it was a red card because, like, again, with my position in the stands, it was literally right in front of us. Like It could not have been any kind of more clearer in our sight where we were probably got a better look than the referee who was the other side of the play, but it's right in front of us. And I think as soon as you leave your feet, you know, in that manner where you kind of jump into a tackle, it wasn't your classic two foot going in together, but once you're off the ground, the law says that you are out of control of your body. And the next bit is you have to make sure you don't make that impact. And he went 
It, he kind of went over the ball. People said, oh, he got the ball. He didn't get the ball. He touched the ball. He did, yes. But he didn't divert the ball away. He touches the ball and then very much touches the opposition player through his shin bone. So I think once that happens, and you, with the, the, the VAR rules as they are and as the law is, it's a red card, unfortunately. I think in a pre-VAR, that's a yellow card. It, you don't. I think the referee can't see it from the opposite side. But as soon as he sees it on a monitor, it's a bona fide red. I think the issue is, as Eric Ten Hag brought up, uh, that is a red card for me. Casemiro yeah. um, probably knew it as well. You could see on his face that he was like, oh, no, I'm going to miss more games. Yeah. And that's exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, It's just uh, the issue is not related to United, really. The mm. Fabinho tackle at Brighton from mm. a few weeks ago, which was worse, probably, yeah. than this. There yeah. was cases at Leicester versus Chelsea of bad tackles, which went unpunished the day before. You know, if you're not going to lose one player, other teams around them should probably <laughs> be treated the same way. And it's just the consistency, right? It is a consistency issue with VAR and it's a consistency issue with English refereeing. It has been for a long time, isn't it? So, you know, I've talked a lot about how uh, the PGMOL, who obviously run our, our referees association here in, in the Premier League, for the longest with VAR, they've tried to create their own bar that is not the same bar as other countries. And what do you see? Other countries seem to use VAR quite effectively and it seems to be comfortable and has now been integrated into their systems more. Whereas in this country, we're still talking about VAR issues and one thing or another. Uh, you're right about that. I, I think it's about when you look at the tackles. So I think the one on Jao Felix the other day is a really interesting one because there are little nuances, Scott, which do need, still need to be highlighted that are different. So you going in with your studs and your foot up is not what the rule says. It's about out of control and what's dangerous. So if you're coming in at a different angle, like the Jao Felix one, where he flicks his foot up, he definitely hits him pretty hard and it's, it is dangerous. But then you have to decide quickly whether it's yellow or red. That's the decision. And obviously they didn't give anything in the end. With the Casemiro one, he's coming in at a kind of direct angle. So part of the law says that about where you, your point of entry he kind of comes in pretty straight from the side and hits him flush on the shin bone. So that's why it's a red. So a lot of these sometimes, I know fans get upset and they go, oh, but it didn't happen there last week and it didn't happen there. There are tiny differences and you've got different referees who look at it differently. But we need the PGMOL to clear this up about the interpretation of the rules. What we really need, Scott, is the rules to be rewritten. The, the rules need to be a little bit flatter and a bit clearer and give the impetus to VAR to make those choices. I haven't really got a problem with the red card, not overall, right right in front of me. I was worried straight away. When he gave him the yellow, me and my son, we stood there. My son went, they're going to upgrade that to red, aren't they? And I went, probably. So we stood there for a minute while it all happened. And he walked <laughs> to the monitor and we were like, well, we saw it. So it's probably going to probably going to be a red. And the crowd obviously went mad. But yeah, a huge blow for Man United, a hammer blow as I described it. Um, I think when you lose Casemiro, you lose more than one player, don't you? He's such an integral part of Ten Hag system, and there's no one else who can play the number six like he can. I, I, the referee criticism debate, which rolls around every single week, absolutely does my head in. So it's yeah. killing me to have to talk about this. Um, but the only uh, other thing I wanted to mention, I was more bothered about the lack of a penalty award than the red card. Yeah, I know, I understand the rules. Again, we're talking about rules being needing to be rewritten. But I'm sorry I, when you see like that. Thomas Suchek handball at Chelsea. That mm. was probably worse than this one, but the, the guy is literally on all fours. He hits his arm and it stops mm -hmm. to go into Veghorst. Like, yeah. I, 
come on. This this again, Honestly. yeah. This is again PGML ML directives, right? So the 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 interpretation is supposed to be that if your hand is on the ground, yeah, or your hand is going to the ground, that you can't give a penalty. That's what the rule. That's their interpretation at the moment. Their modern interpretation. Now that doesn't mean it's the rule. It's not the rule. So you have to reinterpret that. So I agree with you. Like in real time, we saw it, and as he goes down. You can kind of see when that ball hits his arm that that it's, it's not it's not a natural position. It isn't like you can't call it a natural position. So the the current directive says that you can't give a penalty for it. So I get that, but it's wrong. That's the point. So like they need to look at these things and stop tweaking these things so much. Just make it very simple. I think if that hits your arm in that situation, the duty of care still with the player to not put his arm in front of the ball. It really is pull your arm away and fall flat on your face, mate. You can't just mm-hmm. say because you're falling on the floor that you're allowed to put your hand out. So. Yeah, there was that. The Rashford one, again, was right in front of us. Rashi goes through. And it was just the way that the the goalkeeper slid out. It was like guilty by association, his face. Because Rashford went down like a ton of bricks in front of us. And the re- goalkeeper went. And we were like, penalty, 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 all day long screaming for it. And when you look at the replay, it doesn't look clear and obvious. But when you look at the still shot... It's knee to ankle. He catches him. It's a penalty. So United could have had two penalties. Controversial opinion. I think they need to remove stills. They, I think they need to get rid of stills completely from the from the process. Well, the whole everything look worse. Well, the whole thing is that still proves it's a penalty, but the video doesn't. Like it reads. I watched the video twenty times, and the video doesn't prove it. So you could say that all these decisions, Scott, should be made without slow motion replays. Maybe that's the way to go forward. Is that video looks at it. Is it clear and obvious in real time? Because as fans, we see that in the stadium as journalists. We see it with our eyes. So we know what we're seeing, but it's up to a referee. It's difficult for a referee to see what we're seeing with an elevated position at ground level. So I do have some sympathies for referees, but what I don't have sympathy for is the directives coming from the PGMOL because they make it complicated and then the next week they change their mind and tell the referees to do something different. And when we're like, well... What is the rule? What's the directive? So two penalties United probably should have had. I think the Bruno Fernandes one is debatable because it's it, it does get a clean look on the ball. But again, it kind of slides through him. And Bruno's looking for the penalty, looking for contact. It's debatable. Another week that's that's given us a penalty because of the way the point of entry comes from the back and the side. So it, it's one of those games. But I do think that Man United didn't win the game and, and drop points because of Man United and not because of Anthony Taylor. That is what I was gonna. I was gonna say next. And I, if you're watching this podcast, and my my head is in my hands, I hate talking about refereeing decisions. I absolutely hate it. It it does my head in every single weekend. I would just prefer to look at the fact that United couldn't score against the team who were bottom of the league. And that's why it was so pro VAR for many years, Scott. Like I wrote an article years ago. I called... tried to move away from VAR. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote an article years ago called Techno Football, right? And and what it was about was about how can you make the game better with technology, but not ruin the game. And we're kind of somewhere in the middle, aren't we? Still, I still think I still think VAR has a big future in the game, but but we're just using it wrong because the human beings are rubbish. So you've got to find a balance for the humans to be better and allow the technology to help you more. And and I think that's kind of the bigger debate about VAR. But yes, we'll, we'll move away from that today because I don't think Manchester United drew that match because of VAR. I think they drew that match because of themselves. Ten minutes in, uh, we will talk. <laughs> we will talk um, about how United go about replacing Casemiro for the bulk of the show for the next uh, the next section. Uh, we'll talk Jaden Sancho, Anthony, Anthony Martial, 
Christian Eriksen are both close, I think. Maybe there's a suggestion that Anthony Martial and Christian Eriksen could be back for the next uh, league game. Potentially. We don't know about Eriksen yet, but from what we've heard, he might be slightly ahead of schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, and hopefully, if he doesn't go on international duty, he'll be back soon. Alejandro Garnacho injury looks worse than, than first feared. That was a scissor yeah. tackle. Uh, clean tackle. I, I don't want to eliminate those tackles from the game, but if you, it's, it's, it's here and there, and uh, if you're going to do one, one or do the other. Um, and anyway, we'll talk at the end about just a little bit of transfer speculation, and uh, we'll leave you to guess the name until we, uh, until we get to it at the end. So the question here, without Casemiro, is how do United navigate their next four games in domestic competition in the cup and in the league. It's Newcastle away, Brentford and Everton at home. Yeah, difficult games, but I think, you know, if they had a full strength team, that that is at least seven points you'd be expecting from those, but it makes it a lot more difficult. What do they do? Because Rob came into this show today wanting to say that this uh, this idea that he has about how they go about replacing Casemiro. And then I ended up beating him to it when we were talking before we uh, started uh, recording. So I'll leave it to you, Rob. What do you think we should do? Yes, you stole my thunder before we started recording, didn't you? Not, on, you the, said, not on the podcast. You said, I've got an idea, lads. And then you told us the idea. And I was like, that's my idea. I'm just about to say that. But it's good that we agree, isn't it? So I think, you know, it, it's it's kind of a moot point to kind of say that Manchester United are worse without Casemiro. Yes, we know that. It's like the most obvious thing ever, isn't it? We've seen that with Casemiro's suspensions so far this season, how difficult it is to replace his functionality in the team. Whether you just take his class out or whether you take his positional ability or his leadership, all of those things are huge, huge elements for Ten Hag. But what can you do now in these games ahead? Unfortunately, Scott, I was just saying, no, those games, yes, at full strength, you would expect to win them or get significant points. But they're kind of the gritty, horrible mm-hmm. games where you know what the opponent's going to try and do. Like They're going to try and match you pound for pound with the punching, aren't they? In the middle of the park, yeah, you might be more talented than us. But we don't care about that. We're going to go in hard and we're going to we're going to smash you and we're going to try and intimidate you. And I'm for, unfortunately, Manchester United, I do think that that their brain is not always in the right place in those kind of scenarios. You need a Casemiro to slow it all down and to look after the ball. So where do you go with this? Because you've got Scott McTominay, who can deputise as a defensive midfielder, but we all know he's not particularly a very good one. Fred has played the six at numerous times when he's had to play it. Again, I wouldn't say particularly a good one. Very rash in how he plays. Going back in time, when Casemiro was in and out and Casemiro wasn't there, Ericsson did play the deeper line role and you played that six and it worked okay. You, You weren't massively exposed, but there were times where we were doing the show and saying, that's difficult because he hasn't got the defensive capabilities. So where do you go? I think the one player I think that you've got, when you look at the whole of the back line, you look at the back four, you look at those midfield positions, the one player I think that you can move out of position into that number six for these four key games, and they are key, you're at the end of the season, you need the points, is Lissandro Martinez. So I think with Martinez, we know that he's played defensive midfield before. He's played number six before for Ajax. We also know that Ten Hogs being quite outward in his dislike of how Martinez plays the number six. It's kind of said, I don't believe he's a number six. It's not kind of what I like him to do. Now, I think when you've got coverage in your in your back four, with the likes of Maguire, Lindelof now coming back from illness and injury, you've got a fit Luke Shaw, a fit Malassia, 
You've got Aaron Wambasaka, who I think looks really good when he's on a football pitch at the moment, defensively, doing all the coverage and going forward and doing those things. And you've got Delo, who's not particularly valid at the moment. You've got options. What you haven't got, Scott, in midfield is this abundance of people who can play the six and can maybe do it to what, what you need. So what do you need, Scott? Defensive coverage, mobility. Anticipation. Anticipation, ball movement, bravery, all that stuff. I think that some of those bits account for Scotty and count for Fred, but the real bits that they cannot do means that someone like Brentford will kill you in that part of the park, get the ball to Tony and Tony will punish you and you're done. So this is what I'm worried about. This is kind of, I don't want to do a show full of like negativity, but this is something that Ten Hag needs to sort out very, very quickly. Because I think we saw against Southampton, who have absolutely nothing, Scott, bottom of the table for a reason. They are hot garbage. Sorry, Southampton fans, you are. That's why you are where you are. Even against 10 men, Man United, they couldn't really turn the screw. They got Theo Walker at the top end of the pitch. Man United still couldn't really deal with it in midfield. Now, that worries me. And that's with all the kind of changes. We went to 4-4-1. It was horrible. It was sticky. It didn't work. But will it work with the 4-1-5, say, in the next game without Casemiro? I think the only way that works is with Lissandro there. If you put Lissandro in there, he is brave enough and technical enough to run the number six and then allow the eight and the ten to go and do their work. So it's a little bit of a plea to our manager because we don't believe he's going to do it, but I'm going to plea to Eric Ten Hag to push the Argentinian butcher forward a little bit in our team and maybe allow, I don't know, you could play Lindelof there on the left or Maguire, keep Rafa Varane in there. You could even bring Luke Shaw in, couldn't you? Luke that's Shaw what I would come do. inside. Luke Shaw come inside if you if that's your preference as a left-sided player or left-footed player, and then play Malasia. You've got opportunities there to do the do good changes, but I think it's an essential change. And I think if you don't make that change, and I don't want to be proved right, I think you drop significant points in this four-game run. Significant. Like you're saying, how many seven that you think you win? I think you might win. Well, you three. should be targeting at least seven from these games. If, if, if that's 12 points, yeah, I'm doing my maths. I think you'll drop half of them. I think you will, uh, because I don't think that you're good enough at the number six to stop those kind of, uh, those teams that have got attrition in their veins. So like Everton, that they're going to come to Man United and you know what Sean Dyche's Everton's going to do because it's the same as Sean Dyche's Burnley. Yeah, they're going to fight you. So if you can't fight in the number six role, you're probably going to lose territory. So United need to get that fixed very, very quickly. And I think Lissandro is the guy to do it. I completely agree. Uh, Eric Ten Hag has, as you said, Rob, made no secret of the fact that he doesn't want to play in there. But it's we're a, we're at a case now of needs must. Totally. It is absolutely needs must because you have three games coming up in the league where United dealt with Newcastle at Wembley. I know yeah. that the atmosphere will be different at St. James's Park because they'll be at home. Hmm. But even the way New, I know Newcastle won at the weekend, but even the way Newcastle have been playing recently, they're not really scoring too much. You need to ensure that you're secure enough not to go and I, I would take a draw there at the moment I would take a draw there but you should be going there targeting to win and then Brentford and Everton are too difficult you saw Everton rock up to Old Trafford in the FA Cup and they gave United a bit of a scare United did win but Brentford already smashed United once this season they, they're they a team and they have a coach who knows how to win a game let's just mm. say you know, he knows how to plan to win a game and United don't have that security there without Casemiro. So they need to find a way 
temporarily, I might add. We might never see this again. But we have said on this podcast over the last few weeks that you have Casemiro, fantastic. But he is 30, 31. Mm. And eventually, at some point soon, you will probably need a younger profile of player in that mold to come in and support for when Casemiro isn't playing, whether that's via injury or whether that's because of rest, or in this case, because he's missing eight games in a Premier League season because of suspension, which it will be because he's missed three games for one red card, an accumulation of yellows, one game and now another four. Yeah. So they need to find a way to work this problem out because I think it's pretty obvious Scott McTominay isn't the answer there. No. There's suggestions already at what I've heard. Scott McTominay is available for other clubs to buy in the yeah. summer. Fred can't do it. Marcel Sabitzer could do it, maybe, but he's injured at the moment. That's another mm. player on the list. Maybe that's how we will go with it. But none of those options convince me quite as much as I think Lisandro Martinez will convince me in that position. Yeah, look, I, th- I think the whole thing is is that plan Bs and plan Cs are as always as important as your plan A because nothing ever runs smoothly in football. You always get injuries, suspensions, you get bad form, you get problems, don't you? That's what, what football's about and the art of management is about having options. Now, we know that Ten Hag is a lateral thinker, so he does, you know, like think about Luke Shaw being a left-back, playing centre-back. That solved a problem, didn't it, for United in the short term? And that's something that none of us probably would have advocated at all. We'd have gone, Luke Shaw playing centre-back like week after week. Now, I don't want that. So he did that when he had to do it. So I think the needs must, as you say. And, and I think that you've got to kind of find solutions on the fly a little bit when you kind of say, well, I've got midfielders. But like, say Ole Gunnar Solskjaer going back in the day, Ole would have just gone double pivot, stick my two in there, McFred, and then everything I saw, I build it around it. That That's not great football. It's not a great way to kind of set your team up tactically. I think that Ten Hag is more expansive than that. So how do you make it work? Well, you definitely need a ball player in there at six. That's really important. And if you haven't got Ericsson fit yet, and I think it's unfair to maybe rush him back. You know, he's a guy who's had this injury. It was not a very nice injury. Getting him back early will be a huge Upside for United, say, for the last five, six, seven games of the season, really important. So don't blow that one up because he's going to be important. What can you do in the immediacy? And the fact that you've got senior centre-backs sat there, Scott, you know, like I said, I'll talk about Maguire and talk about Lindelof. Players who know how to play games and know the big game situations. Yes, they're slow, but they know Varane. They know Shaw. Shaw can come inside. There is a kind of level of acumen already there that will allow Lissandro to go and play forward. The issue for me is the midfield. So if you don't have a solid number six, it's going to expose Bruno at eight, because Bruno, I think, is going to carry on playing the eight. It will expose anyone who's playing the 10. So Jaden Sancho, I think, was exposed in this game, playing the 10, because he just simply cannot do the midfield coverage, and you need someone to play the six. I think what we saw in the game against Southampton is that that tackle that Casemiro makes, he does not make that tackle if he's playing with Fred because Fred's on the coverage on that side. But he had no coverage. He had to come from the wrong angle, make a bad tackle and get sent off. So these are things that in the moment you can't fix. You can't tell Casemiro not to make that tackle because it's difficult. He's trying to do his job. But you need someone in there who's a dog of war. And that guy's Lissandro Martinez. He's a guy who can four games go in there and go, well, do you know what? I'm not a defensive midfielder. I am going to put my foot in. I'm going to put my foot on the ball. I'm going to do all the technical stuff that needs to be done. And I don't think he'd blink an eye, Scott. I think he'd go into defensive midfield and just go, this is who I am. I'm, this is my profile of player that I am. I, I'm a fighter. 
I go do the job in there. I'm going to show people that I'm a good defensive midfielder. And I always thought that when we signed him, that he might end up as a defensive midfielder we, at some point. We said this at the start of the season before Casemiro signed. Because yeah. I remember saying, and I was wrong, that I, he's never going to drop Harry Maguire because he's the captain. Like, obviously, <laughs> very ballsy. But when they signed Martinez, I thought, okay, well, I remember, I think you you said that they would eventually and they, they mm. did. Um, and now Maguire's very much second, third, well, third or fourth choice centre-back, maybe even fifth beyond Luke Shaw and Victor Lindelof. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always thought that Martinez had the raw attributes to go and fill this role because he, his anticipation is great. His positioning is great. He's good in the tackle. Mm. He's good at evading pressure. He's good at passing the ball and advancing it forward with his left foot. And he's tenacious enough to go and give United that bit of bite in there that they're lacking or that they will be lacking. McTominay will give you some, but we've, we've seen it. We've been watching Scott McTominay in the, in the team for five, six years, and we know what he can and can't do. Yeah. So Ten Hag is in this position now of, I think United are still okay in the terms of top four, but they've dropped more points over the next few weeks. They're getting dragged into that battle and they cannot afford to do this and and to to drop points in these next few games if they if they can help it so if you know McTominay is on the market and is going to be sold in the summer if you know that Harry Maguire and Victor Lindelof are on the market if you know that Fred is better in the eight or better pressing further up the field why not Mm. why not try it I, th- I think I think needs must. I think you've got to try it. You know, I didn't watch Ajax weekly under the Ten, ten Hag era. I watched a hell of a lot of Ajax in the Eredivisie. And it just so happens that some of the you know, two or three of the games that I saw were when Martinez was playing as the six or playing out of the defence, out of the back four, about the back area. And uh, and I thought it was really good. <laughs> so, so just that kind of small pocket uh, of of seeing him made me think, well, he's got the attributes at least. And we know that anyway, like we see what he does. He's a progressive ball carrier. Go look at his statistics. They absolutely show that from the numbers, uh, from the, uh, the back line, he moves into the number six really comfortably. So pay him 10 yards forward. You can do that. So if, if he doesn't do Better that, than Victor Scott, Lindelof in there, by the way, absolutely. If he doesn't do that, I think that it doesn't say that he doesn't trust uh, Martinez to do that role I think what it says he doesn't trust Maguire so we know that Maguire's slow we know Lindelof's slow and that is an issue but I actually fancy Maguire against a Tony a little bit more just because of the physicality and the reading of the game and staying goal side of him it's really important I think Maguire can do that but then when I look at the midfield if you get outworked by Brentford's say you know industrious midfield then Tony's going to get better chances, isn't he? The ball's going to come in from wider areas. They're going to get through you. The ball's going to be through the channel and they're going to beat you on that. So I think you have to look at it kind of from a more overtly tactical situation as opposed to just individuals. I think you have to look at it and go, kind of go, who can cover what in this moment? You've got four games here, Scott, to mitigate disaster. Because say you lose all those four, like I'm not, not being over the top, but say you do lose those four or say you lose two of them, that's a disaster, and you're then sucked into that battle of are you going to be in the top four? You shouldn't be in that situation just because of one player. But when Casemiro's out of the team, you're not as good. So you have to find answers to that. So I'd be all right if United get the press on, get their shape right, get a number six that just does all the functional stuff, and everyone else does their job, Scott. If everyone else does their jobs, you should be okay. You'll get points. You won't lose games. It'll be comfortable. But you saw against Southampton that you took Casemiro out 
And the whole thing was lopsided. People didn't know what they were doing. Number 10s were not doing their jobs and rates weren't doing their jobs. And you're putting Sancho up top, you're Bruno running around everywhere. It all becomes a huge mess and you have to have some discipline. So this is what I think Ten Hag will need to work on in the next few days. I think Cadiz is now going to be a little bit of a dress Betis. rehearsal. Yeah? It's got Betis, sorry, not Cadiz. But Betis is going to be a dress rehearsal for what we see in the Premier League. So he needs to kind of find a function that works there where you're defensively sound, but you can still do the counter-press. Because Man United's counter-press, going back to Liverpool and a little bit beyond, has become weaker. Whereas in weeks gone by, the counter-press was brilliant. It was solid. It was working. There was no counter-press against Southampton. That's against the Southampton team that are pretty weak through the core of their team. Let us know what you think uh, Eric Ten Hag should do because they are without Casemiro for four games in domestic competition. Mm. Fulham, Newcastle, and then Brentford and Everton over the next month or so. Horrible games. They're not nice. No. Um, but th- these are going to be battles for three points each game. Well, obviously, mm. the Fulham's in the cup. But... Um, United need to find a way. And I think if you can get through this period where you can take 10 points or um, uh, seven points out of nine or something like that without mm-hmm. Casemiro, I think you're still in a pretty strong position going into the remaining few weeks of the season. Um, but yes, uh, we have been saying if Casemiro is not there, you need to address that at some point. It doesn't seem to be on United's list of things to do in the summer at the moment. Is right back, central midfield, you know, ball-carrying midfielder and striker. If <laughs> Casemiro's getting older, you know, and that is something you have to be wary of his minutes. You have to rest him in order to get the best out of him, probably because he can't play 66 games a season. Uh, so they need somebody else to fit this role. It's not Matomine. It's not, probably not Sabitzer. It's not Fred. It's not Christine Eriksen. You need to find a way, and you need to find a way temporarily now, but you need to address it longer term. And if you know Martinez can do it, that's a problem solved kind of for the future. Yeah, totally. And it's one of those things of like, you have to see it, isn't it? A bit like Luke Shaw playing centre-back with something we didn't want to see. And then when you see it after three games, you go, I actually worked. So well done to the manager, well done to Luke Shaw. So I think that's the kind of challenge for Martinez. Long-term, you're correct. I think you need to look at the kind of Declan Rice market because you need someone that can do six, can do eight, do more box-to-box function, do the battling, do the leadership, do all that stuff. You also need ball carriers. But this is why the Frankie de Jong side of it, even though it would be great to have him, you have already kind of got Ericsson who can do that. You've got someone who can come in the team like a Zidane Iqbal next year and maybe develop a year on. You're going to get Hannibal back. You've got more ball players, players who can do that function. And we've kind of got ball players. But like when you look at the players there for the defensive bit, it's worrying. You said like Scott McTominay, I do think that we know his weaknesses. And I think opponents know his weaknesses, and that's a problem. They know how to get inside his game and hurt him. So, Scotty came on the other day, did what he had to do. Like we were saying, he didn't have a particularly bad game against Southampton. But his deficiencies really are illuminated in problem situations. So, that's where you stand, I think, with Casemiro. I I think as well with Casemiro, I'm not going to have a go at him for getting seven matches as a ban or eight matches, I think, as you said. It was silly, though. It's silly, but he's being tasked to do a lot defense. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. 
It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Because he mm-hmm. is, in inverted commas, good at it. But you can't just leave him to do it all. Yeah. So the number eight and the number 10 have to drop in and help. And the shape has to be there to help that. So you can then counter press successfully. You can't just leave it to Casemiro. So I think that's a reason why he's like ended up with that red card because of other things that are going on on a football pitch. And Ten Hag has to solve that. So, like, even in Martinez's place, you can't just say to Martinez, yeah, you put your foot in and risk red cards. Like you can't do that. You have to get the ball down and play a system and you have to have a more sure midfield. So that's the worry for me. It's about can United put midfields out there that compete with these four Premier League games with these teams? Because these teams are going to go in there to fight you with fire. And if you go in there just wanting to fight with fire and less technical ability, I think you might lose these games because other teams will outwork you. They'll battle you. And that's a worry. So let's see where we go because I think these four games are massively important for United. If you want to go to the end of the season and be comfortable top four. That's what I think what we need, Scott, isn't it? We'd like to be comfortably third, pushing towards second if those two are fighting each other for the title and saying, right, do you know what? Four games to go. We just need another win and we're in the top four, comfortable, and and our season ends with a bit of a damp squib. We don't want to be in some weird battle for fourth, do we, with Spurs and Newcastle and probably Liverpool. We don't want to be part of that story. That story is a horrible story. I'd rather it was comfortable and you did the work early. Let's uh, move on to a couple of players you want to talk about. Let's Mm. let's start with Anthony because, honestly, I'm I'm seeing comments about... uh, Matthew Helstead from the last video said, you'd be amazed at the moans and groans Anthony gets at Old Trafford because he doesn't go down the line and they're because he doesn't score every game. Uh, clear us that they're functioning the team. Veghorst, I understand he doesn't score goals, right? We're not, don't want to talk about Veghorst. I think Anthony gets so much unnecessary stick because he cost 80 million quid. And that's not his fault. I think the team are much better off with him in it because they're more balanced. And it's just because... I'm not saying that he doesn't need to develop his right foot and he doesn't need to become a little bit more unpredictable and sometimes go down the right. But you know what he is. Eric Ten Hag knows what he is. He's bought him for a reason. And even like, I was in conversations the other day about what he said to Casemiro after he got sent off trying to console him. He was getting the mick taken out of him for that. I, just a kid can't win. You talk about Darwin Nunes ad- adapting to his first season in the league and and this kind of thing. He, he scored a few goals, but he's been pretty bad in others. Like he, he copped a bit of flack for the Bournemouth game the other day. Mm-hmm. Same thing, same age, same price, same profile of, you know, 
player, like adapt into English game, this kind of thing. Not uh, same same types of players. They're obviously very different profiles, but it's just every game, it seems to be something criticizing Anthony. And it's just like, let him settle in. He's been here six months. Yeah, I, th- I think some of the some of the things I read about Anthony from, and it is pro- predominantly from Man United fans, so it's on us as a fan base. It really is. That I, I, some of the things kind of sent to be tweet wise, and people tweeting about it. That there's obviously a frustration. I understand those frustrations, but I, I think these are fans who don't look at maybe the bigger picture. I'm not trying to insult people, so please again, don't get my comments saying that you're having a go at individual fans. I think some fans just want the kind of glamour and all the good stuff, and that's what turns them on. And the hard work and some of that kind of positional stuff that you can only really see in the stats sometimes. You kind of go, well, they're doing their marks there. They're getting they're getting those things right. I don't think some some fans care about that stuff. I just don't think that they're they're turned on by it. Someone tweeted me as well that um, it was a it was a, a quote from uh, Charisma, the player who used to play for uh, for Portugal, saying that pressing systems have ruined football because it means that players who are not particularly good suddenly you're getting some kudos and that's not fair. Well, I remember Charisma when he was a player, he was hot garbage for years at times. He had great talent, yeah, but I wouldn't have picked him in my team. He was rubbish and he did no work. So that was the problem. So I think you've got one swing to the other. People saying we don't want pressing systems. Well, go and tell Pep Guardiola. He's the one that invented all these things and go and tell Jurgen Klopp. That's why all the managers do it. So I think when you look at Anthony and what he brings to the functionality of Man United, there's undoubtedly that we are a better team when he plays on the right. And that is why the manager plays him. Yes, he hasn't got a right foot. Ryan Giggs didn't have a right foot, didn't use it ever, always wanted to come onto the left. And that's better when you're on the left side. People accept it more because you can go on the outside. Mares at Man City, same issue. Took him two years to learn to have to be able to go on the outside. So I think with Anthony as a young player, I'm fine with that. Like he will go on the outside eventually, but it's not the be all and end all. Going outside is not what it's about. It's about doing the team function. He's really good in the press. He's got good stats when it comes to reading the game in terms of interceptions. He gets United going in the right direction. He's kind of self-serving. So like he does his own game and he knows what his game is. He's not affected by other people. He just does what he's got to do. He does what the manager tells him. That's why he's picked. I've got no issue with that. He cost £80 million, Scott, plus. So what? I'm more bothered about do United look better with that player in it? That's always the thing, my baseline, when we talk about individuals. And that's all I really care about. Yes. I would just say, cut him some slack. It's uh, the way, obviously, he's a flair player. He likes to carry himself with that air of confidence, and it doesn't always work for him. Uh, so maybe it does work against him. Yeah, when he curls that ball in the top corner the other day. Yeah, you know, like, like that, that's what he is. He wants to do that, but he can't only do that. Like, it can't be that you're only tricking the game is coming to your left, put it in the top corner. But don't be upset about that. Like, let, let, let the boy develop over time. Be happy that he's actually got that trick because I'm telling you what, Darwin Nunes has got more problems at Liverpool and Cody Gap has got more problems at Liverpool than Anthony has at Man United. That's the way I look at it in terms of affecting a team. So uh, comparing these things are not always helpful, but I think that Tenar values Anthony more than a lot of the fans do. And I think, again, that's probably more important than a lot of the hot air that goes around about him. Talking of Ten Hag valuing, uh, what about Jaden? Yes, what about Jaden? That could be the title of the show, couldn't it? What about Jaden? Um, I didn't want Jaden to start this game against Southampton. And the reason for that was that I thought with the last game against 
Betis and looking at the, the three games in seven days, that it would have been better to give Jaden the game in Betis, where you're 4-1 up, to kind of have more freedom to run the game, to play, maybe play the 10 and do that. I didn't like it as a tactical choice in this match against Southampton, where you kind of have to mitigate the work of James Ward-Prowse in the middle. You need a little bit more, more kind of work rate in there. I think what we saw with Jaden is that before the Casemiro sending off, it wasn't really working for him. He kind of drifting through the game, looking a little bit what I call to you dead behind the eyes, just didn't really look switched on in a position. Bruno, a couple of times, was going up to him saying, Jaden, you've got to go do this. And Jaden was kind of doing a lot of, oh, oh, yes, yes, captain. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. And it wasn't happening. And then you have the Casemiro red card. And then after that, Jaden plays as the centre forward, which I was just completely shocked by. I just looked at that and I thought, why are you not bringing Sancho off and leaving Veghorst on and keeping the shape at least as a 4 4 1? Jaden Sancho, like with Anthony, we can say that he's damned if he doesn't, damned if he doesn't, yeah, because of the type of player he is. With Jaden, he's been at the club now a little while, double the length of, say, someone like Anthony. And we need to see more, Scott. We just need to do. He had this period where he went to the Netherlands, got fit, got right, solved a few issues, came back, looked really healthy, looked really sprite, really ready. I think already that's gone. I really do. I watch him now and I think... This is the Jaden from earlier in the season where we were saying we probably can't pick him. I think the problem is, is that the manager wants to push him forward. The manager wants to give him responsibility and say, I believe in you. And that's the right way to do it. But you know what, Scott? You can't do it if it costs you points. So I think it cost us against Southampton. I think the fact that you were not so solid in the middle of the park and didn't have the correct creativity from number 10 and didn't have the correct work rate in there you should win this game 1-0, shouldn't you, if you get those things right? And you could see there were so many problems on the pitch against Southampton that emanated from me from that 10. And when Jaden was at the top end of the pitch as the nine, it was worse. Jaden just didn't know what he was doing. Just a lot of jogging, a lot of movement. Like, am I playing here? Am I supposed to drop deep to help the play? Am I supposed to run the last mat? He just didn't know. So some of that's on the manager. But I do think that Jaden Sancho has to take responsibility for his own performances. If he's going to be the number seven next year or an important part of this Man United team, he needs to prove it and he needs to prove it very, very quickly. We can't get to the summer, Scott, and say, well, Jaden will be all right next year because we've been doing that about Van der Beek for two years. He can't carry that on. I don't believe this manager will. I think this manager will challenge him. And if he doesn't quite make it, I don't know what you do with Jaden Sancho. He does not get in my best 11. Does he get in yours? Not currently. Uh, we, we did have, uh, Rob, a tweet from FPL Hafiz on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Is it possible Sancho could be sold? Ten Hag is trying to fit him in, but he's not taking his chances. Maybe use the money we get from him and reinvest in other positions. Could be a discussion on the show, perhaps. Uh, my take on this at the moment, I don't think that will happen this summer but I definitely think it will be in Eric Ten Hag's mind mm -hmm. to address at some point down the line. I think there's other players in this team that we already know don't fit. Yep. I think Sancho is in a position where we obviously know he's had time away, uh, physical, mental issues. I don't think he's complete. He's not completely clear at the moment. Everything is not right as rain. Um, but I do think that this is a... Sancho is at least another another year of persistence. And maybe you look at that if it's the same situation as it is currently in 24, because I think there's enough players in that squad at the moment that you know need to leave. I could probably name about 10 uh, that you can raise money for. And at the end of the day, if you just make that call on Sancho now at 22 mm. years old, when you've just spent 
75 million on him. You're taking a hit on him. You're giving up on your investment. You sell him for, ah, he's probably worth 40 at the moment if you are to sell him. And he moves sideways and then he ends up making you look stupid when he plays somewhere else because he's really, really, really talented. Uh, Yeah. What's your take? He's a talented boy and I will never doubt that. I think he's an incredible talent. I really do. And I think that's why I was so happy with him coming to Manchester United. I think there's two or three ways of looking at this. I'll try and keep it as concise as possible. I think as you look at the lineup now and you look at what's been successful for Ten Hag since he came to the football club, Jadon Sancho was bought to play on the right and the left. That's what Jadon Sancho was bought to play in. I still, I now think that he's behind Rashford on the left. He's behind Garnacho on the left. I think on the right-hand side, he's behind Anthony, certainly on the right. And slowly but surely, he's going to be behind Pelestri, right? So this is it. He's going on loan, isn't he? Well, I put Bruno is, there first, though. So you've got four players. You've got four players there. And then you've got Bruno Fernandes, who's now playing in wide roles as well, because he's not playing the 10. That's a problem for Jadon Sancho. Now, that cannot help him away from the pitch. But Ten Hag cannot make the whole team about Jadon Sancho or making Jadon Sancho feel happy or ready for games. Now, as it stands today, I disagree with the fact that that Jadon could be up for sale. Could I change that position if Jadon doesn't show any kind of progress between now and the end of the season? I will be changing my position, Scott, because you can't carry people anymore. So look at the Paul Pogba situation. Let's use that as a comparable because someone said to me about comparisons between the two. It's that Paul Pogba's incredible talent. Jaden Sancho, incredible talent. No doubt about it. Really, really good. Do they help you win? Well, Paul Pogba, I think, slowly but surely with his injury record, fell away from helping you to win. So when he went, he went and you go, OK. So with Jaden. Jaden's young enough to develop. But Jaden Sancho cannot become a Carabao Cup footballer, Scott. He can't. Not on 300 grand a week or whatever he's on. Like, he's on big, 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 big change. It's a lot of money, yeah? So if you got that wage off the bill and brought someone on 300 grand a week, that helps you win every week, you know, Frankie de Jong, someone like that. There's other players out there. You could be able to make your team better by sacrificing someone. Now, I don't want to sacrifice Jaden Sancho, but he's got to become a Manchester United footballer a lot quicker than maybe he thinks. So we're going to be two years into his cycle at Man United, and he's gone not just backwards, but I think a long way backwards. I don't want to debate the reasons for that. I want to debate the performances. And I think I want him to get chances, but not at the expense of winning football matches. I think if Jadon Sancho didn't play in that game against Southampton, I think you'd win it. And that's uh, it sounds basic, that. But I think if you had Veghorst working the top end of the pitch, United would have made more creative chances. You just would have had more space. Sancho didn't do that. Sancho came off. He tried to change it. Garnacho comes on and Garnacho gets injured. It's a nightmare. There's problems there that you don't need. So I think for Jaden, I support him for now, absolutely. But it's the same as Donny van der Beek. You cannot just support someone forever if they're not turning the screw on their form and finding something, some way to become valid. He's become less valid, hasn't he, in this Manchester United front line this season. And we both said, didn't we, Scott? No, that's not going to happen. He's going to come in. He's going to be brilliant this year. We feel that. We believe in him. I think the manager wants that as well. We all Mm -hmm. want it. But if he can't do it then eventually you have to say, we'll cut our losses. If someone says, we'll give you 40, 50 million for him, that's a lot of money to go and find someone who can help you more. You can put that back in the team. So that's the challenge for Jaden. Um, if he leaves Man United eventually in the season, he's going to be taking a massive step down somewhere and a massive wage cut somewhere. He will be. He's got to prove that he's worth it. In the same way that Rashford had to. Last year, Rashford wasn't very good. Rashford this year, world-class, best player in the world. Jaden Sancho at Dortmund, best young player in the world. We need that Jaden Sancho back very, very quickly. 
Well, I certainly know that Dortmund would take him back in a heartbeat if they could uh, on loan yeah, or whatever. Maybe that is another option. But we don't want to play that game, Scott. But that, let's want, not play we, that game. Exactly. We, we, we want we want the we want our players to be valid and say that they're they're worthy of their shirt. You know what I mean? And and Jaden at the moment, for whatever yeah. issues there are, you know, physically he doesn't look right to me. Still, he still doesn't look in top 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 condition. He, he's still hopping and puffing in matches. And I kind of think to myself should be over that now like you've had the training so you know you should be able to run at least and and give that effort side of the game i know it's not a big part of his natural game but if you're not doing it with the ball on the deck do it at least in the press let's uh talk about some injury situations before we wrap up uh mm-hmm. do a little bit on transfers at the end as well anthony martial and christian erickson martial's back in training isn't mm-hmm. he yes um don't risk him yet i like give him the rest of the week off <laughs> not not off but don't don't include him in matches for me get him ready to come back at the start of the resumption of the league and then reintegrate make sure he doesn't get bloody injured again yes and that's where having this lead in the second leg in the europa league i think is a big benefit not just the fact that you hope to go through because you've got the lead but it means that you might not have to make some of the changes that you might have felt enforced to do with with one thing or another, like you could still play Casemiro in this game, still keep some of the shape, maybe even give Jaden another chance to kind of go do do that opportunity. As I'd rather that he'd played in that game against Betis in the second leg. Um, but yeah, I I, uh, I think when you look at Anthony Martial, there's a bigger debate there about what you do with him next season now and whether you do keep him. And this run towards the end of the season now will dictate that because I think the manager needs to see him stay fit and see he can maintain that but also be useful because he's missed 40-odd games this year in all competitions. And just imagine if you'd had a fit number nine or a fit Anthony Martial in that period. Mm. I think you would be title contenders. I think you would be in that top two or three conversation a lot more solid than you are at the moment. You would not have lost those games that you lost earlier in the season because you just had more functionality at the nine. Yes, I agree with you. I think you need to keep him for this four-game run and I hope that he can give you minutes because he can give you value there. And it means that, Scott, as well, that if you're trying to look at the defensive function a little bit more, that if you can play in that four games, uh, say, uh, Anthony at the nine and Veghorst as a 10 because you really don't want Bruno playing the 10 for whatever reason, then you can do that. It's not not particularly exciting, but I think Man United need to aim to have four clean sheets in those games, first yeah. of all, and then go and win them on the counter punch. Yeah, and you can do that comfortably with the, with the talent that you've got and the pace that you've got. So that's what I want to see. I don't want to see Rashi brought into the middle because he's not as good as in the middle. Rashi's better on the left. Anthony's still your best option on the right. But now you're losing Garnacho. That's a huge blow to Man United. The potential that he might be out for even months rather than weeks and days. So that is a problem. And we need to see what happens there with, with his latest scan. But you're, you've got a few tricky situations now that you need to navigate, don't you? So I think Anthony Martial is one of them. You need him in those league games. They are so much more important than the Europa League. Yeah, Christian Eriksen, we've already talked about as well. Hopefully he'll be back soon. Maybe not yeah. straight away after but I wouldn't rush break, him. But yeah, don't again, rush him. Don't rush him. But you, we've talked about the midfield already needing mm. ball players in there and Christian Eriksen. They're missing him, aren't they? I really think so. Isn't it funny? You find that value of a player more when they don't play. Like mm. that's when you really find the value of individuals in your team. It's not when they actually come in and play well and you go, oh, he might be good for that because he's come in and done well. No, it's actually the other way around. When a player's out for an extended period of time, you, you miss them. And I'm telling you this now, Scott, if Garnacho is out, say towards the end of the season, out for a big run of games, we're going to miss him 
And we're going to be saying that when he comes back, thank God Garnacho's back because we need someone who can run on that outside and actually help on that left-hand side and give Rashi a bit of a break. So I think that that's a huge blow for United. But I think with, with um, Ericsson coming back, the minute he's fit and match-ready, I think he's just an automatic starter now. Like in that midfield, there's so many bits in that midfield that's still dysfunctional. The one bit that isn't dysfunctional is Christian Eriksen's feet because he's an artist with that ball at his feet. And you do need that kind of ball metrics in there, someone who can move it along and just do all the simple stuff without blinking. Yeah, uh, we'll hope to see him back soon. I'm just digging through some comments to see... uh... If anyone has said, no, we shouldn't sign Harry Kane because that's how I want to finish the show today. <laughs> uh, I'm seeing every time I tweet, make Harry Kane happen. And Harry Kane's got to make this happen, by the way, if he wants it to happen, uh, which we're not sure of yet. But United fan base seems to be quite... Maybe it's the Twitter fan base. And I'm not saying that's, that's a bad thing, but it seems to... A lot of the noise seems to be, no, Victor Osserman's the one. Victor Osserman's the one. I've seen other strikers come from Italy and fail to adjust to the Premier League and it doesn't always work. Uh, and I think the the latest reports are, we had some on Monday about United not wanting to deal with Daniel Levy and they need a striker in as soon as possible in the summer and Daniel Levy is going to drag it out. That's all well and good. That is the case. But what I will say is, if Harry Kane wants to stay in the league, it, Harry Kane's got some decisions to make, right? Mm. If he wants to stay in the Premier League, which we understand that he does, he wants to stay and break that Premier League all-time goal-scoring record, over moving to Germany, Real Madrid going the picture might be a little bit different. I don't know. But if he wants to give it a real crack at trophies, whether Tottenham get top four or not, he has to kick up a stink. He's got 12 months left on his contract. He has to be completely adamant that he's not going to sign a new one and dangle the threat of, I'll stay here for another year and I'll go and join one of these English rivals anyway, Mr. Levy, and you'll get no money for me. That's how it's got to play. And that will help United's case. Completely. And look, Daniel Levy has stung Manchester United plenty of times in terms of value. Like, we know this. So it's kind of like there is history there. And we also know that Tottenham Hotspur at this point of the season will not want to be entering into anything that looks like their superstar captain leaving the football club. So they've put that out there through their contacts. We kind of know this. We know how the game works. And this is how it goes, isn't it? It's that you get to a point. Kind of Again, there is similarities between Van Persie and Arsenal. In the sense, I remember Van Persie standing in front of a camera kind of saying, you know, I'm going nowhere, smirk on his face, and then, of course, left the football club. It happens all the time, especially with the big players, especially with captains as well when they're leaving. So leadership is a thing. I think when you look at Harry Kane, you look at Manchester United fans, you look at Victor Rossman. Victor Rossman, people keep saying to me, oh, he's your 10-year option. Now, I don't know why people say this, because it doesn't exist in football anymore. There is no such thing as your 10-year option. People going, but Haaland is City's 10-year option. No, he isn't. He's going to be a Jaden Sancho was Man United's tenure option. Jaden Sancho was our tenure option, and he's not even in the team. He's—I called him a Carabao Cup footballer a minute ago. So there are always those those problems that 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 involve lateral thinking. That I don't—I just don't know if the Twitterverse does that. Twitter is about reaction and about wants and likes. And if I've got a chocolate bar, I want to shove it in my mouth because yum 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 yum. That's all I want. Just give me the sugar. I think that's kind of where it is. I think with Harry Kane, he's always kind of been a deeply unpopular footballer with certain certain fan bases. So, like, let's talk about this. Arsenal fans hate Harry Kane. Why do they hate Harry Kane? We know why they hate Harry Kane. 
We know. We don't need to talk about it. They would never want to see Harry Kane do anything. It's it's like our Steven Gerrard, isn't it? That's what it is. That's how we felt about Stevie G. I think when you look forward to it and you look about what United are going to do in the in the marketplace, there's still options for them. As I said, we need to see what happens with Anthony Martial. Osman is an easy fix, but I'm already seeing journalists say, well, it's a kind of similar deal in price. No, it isn't. Victor Osman's going to cost about double the amount of Harry Kane and, and, and wages might even be more than Harry People Kane. don't seem to realise that Aurelio De Laurentiis, look at, read up about him. <laughs> I, I, Honestly, I, but, read but, up but, about him. But I think the thing is, is the whole thing with Osman is that he is kind of at the height of his powers in terms of value. So you're going to have to pay 150. You're going to have to pay 150. I don't care if United pay 150 or not. I don't care about what our owners pay for footballers. I care about who you get. So I would like Osman. We're not going to complain about that. But I think when you look at Harry Kane, he's more gettable. So what happens with Harry Kane? Let's end the show on this. Harry Kane has got four options and two of them are the more likely ones. Now, people say about him going abroad, Bayern Munich, all of that. He's not going anywhere. He wants the Premier League goal-scoring record. He wants to be the greatest goal-scorer of all time. He said that privately. He said that kind of kind of openly. So he's got to stay in the Premier League. So he could play it, stay at Spurs. That's an option. But then you look at the other main four, Man United, Newcastle, and I'm going to put in there Liverpool and City. And people might go, well, that's mad. Like, why would you do that? Let's look at it just as a kind of more more, fo- more focused point. Manchester City's attack is not working, right? They've got the best young striker in the world who's going to carry on bl- playing as the nine. You've got to find out something going on around him. You've got to make it work. It's not working with De Bruyne. It isn't. De Bruyne's at the end of his life cycle as a player. You might play him deeper in years to come because he is, though. He is. He is. And even, did you see I, I don't disagree. It's just a controversial statement. Okay, it's controversial, but it's not controversial when the manager is coming out, Pep Guardiola came out yesterday, and when it's not working. He said it. He said, I need, I need Haaland to do more. I need De Bruyne to do more. So if they don't do more, it doesn't work, Scott. They're going to get to the end of the season, especially if they don't win the title. And they're going to be looking for a primary forward that can affect you in the middle. And I think Harry Kane is perfect for that. Harry Kane plays a 10 and you could play a kind of 4-4-1-1 four, four, one, one and, and keep your shape and still have two amazing forwards on the pitch and win football matches with a Julian Alvarez backing them both up. So that's one option. Liverpool. Liverpool's not working. It's not working. Darwin Nunes has done okay. Gakpo's done okay. Jota's come back in. I think he's potentially the answer. I think Salah's out the door at the end of the season. I really do. They're going to be looking for a primary forward. Harry Kane, again, perfect for that. Bring him in. He's one of our own. You could see it, you know, cop putting him front and centre. He's the now on the main player. Newcastle, all the money in the world. They could tempt the Harry Kane with that. But let's look at Man United. Man United still need that leader in there. Man United still need that goal scorer. Man United still need a number nine. If you don't get Victor Rossman and you don't get one of those young forwards, a Sesco or a Kudos or someone like that, I think you've got to still look to the experience side of the market. That's Harry Kane, available for 80 to 90 million on maybe three to 400,000 pounds a week. That is a bargain for someone who can get you 20 goals with his eyes closed every year in the Premier League. That's what you want because then if you've got Anthony, then if you've got Marcus Rashford on the left and Anthony on the right and Bruno at ten and a Sancho to come in and then a guy up top who just picks himself every week as a number nine and stays fit because that's the other side of it. Your title contenders.
like that all over. We said it last week. We'll say it again. So this is why the manager would like a Harry Kane. We know this from our own contacts. It means that Tottenham are going to push back against that because they don't want to see their captain go to Man United. But we have taken players off Tottenham for many, many years. Michael Carrick, Dimitar Berbatov. We've always gone back to Spurs and been able to pick players that we like to make us better. I think Harry Kane is the ultimate upgrade at number nine. And yes, I take Osman tomorrow, but my God, I would take Harry Kane as well. I would say Dusan Vlajevic is... Uh, don't, don't write that one off. Uh, no. Kudus as well from Ajax yeah. is... Again, don't write that one off. Very, but Kudus, you, you see the stick Anthony's getting? Mohamed totally. Kudus is 21. And that's the problem, isn't <laughs> you know? it? That's what, that's Victor Osman is 23. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You've got to look at the experience side of the market because you did that with Casemiro and it worked, right? It's worked for this short window that he's been at the club and you hope it works for maybe another two or three years that you get that real value out of Casemiro. 300, 350 grand a week, 60 million pound. It's worked. Well done, Man United. Big big box ticked. But if you go buy a young forward, a Sesco or someone like that, a Kudos, and it doesn't work, people are going to say after six months, sell him. Like we're talking about some of our players, people saying, "Oh, Anthony should be sold at the end of the season." Why? Are you mad? Like you paid ninety million for him, you're not going to get anything like that, are you? And you're not going to get an upgrade in your system. You're going to get a downgrade. So you've got to be patient. But I think with Harry Kane, you could say on day one, "All right, Harry, your job is to make this team win," and can you do that? And I think a little bit like Van Persie, Harry Kane's got that in him. People say he's a choker. That's what Arsenal fans say. Harry, who's our producer, will call Harry Kane uh, a choker every day of the week. I disagree with that. I think that's more to do with Spurs being a choker football club. But I think Harry Kane could come to Man United and not just be significant. I think he could be the man. He could be the man. He'd come in and make everyone else better straight away and help Marcus Rashford. Marcus Rashford's carrying this team in terms of goals and, and stuff this season, isn't he? You need someone that helps Marcus put the ball in the back of the net because you've not got a lot else in other positions that do that regularly, even though you are better than you were 12 months ago. The next step is to be better again in another six to 12 months. Harry Kane for 80, 90 million. My God, bite that hand off, take it and be happy with it. There's a lot of Man United fans are not happy with it, but they're not happy really with a lot of things most of the time. Sorry, this is, uh, this is turning into a Harry game propaganda machine. Um, but yeah. He I'm... won't be on the thumbnail. Put it that way. <laughs> uh, that, that's it for today's show. We've gone for an hour again. Uh, you can subscribe to our show wherever you get your pods on Apple, Google, Spotify, and the likes. Uh, watch us on YouTube twice a week, Tuesdays, Fridays. Uh, come and check us out. Subscribe to the channel. Leave a comment for us. We're getting more of those in. Please leave them and continue to leave them. We do read them. Like the video. Uh, join the community with us and follow us on Twitter too. I've just tweeted, Rob. Uh, campaign for Lisandro Martinez to start a DM in Casemiro suspension. Uh, so please get across there and let us know if you agree or disagree. At underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore P, and at Promise and MU for the show. We'll be back on Friday to hopefully not be talking about Man United crashing out of the Europa League. And we'll look ahead to the Fulham game. Thanks everyone for listening uh, and for watching, and we'll see you soon. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.